0: Truth is. I am, I am Iron Man. I am Iron Man.
1: I am Iron Man.
0: I am Iron Man.
1: I'm Iron Man?
0: I am Iron Woman. I'm Griffin, I'm Molly,
1: and we're going Into the Superverse!
0: Welcome back to another episode of Into the Superverse! Uh,
1: We are here fresh off our, I can't even recall how many times we've seen it, but we have just watched Iron Man once again!
0: All right, where should we begin with this one?
1: Yeah, we are talking about the film that, against all odds, revived Robert Downey Jr.'s career and kickstarted the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it.
0: And John Favreau.
1: Yes, coming I mean, off of
0: Swingers.
1: What did what did he directed right before this? Was it what Elf?
0: Was Elf before this? I think so. Paint a scene for us, will you, Griffin? What year is it? What's been happening in the world to Earth. bring us to this moment?
1: Sure. Okay. What's
0: Kevin up to? And by Kevin I mean Kevin Feige, who we will speak about at nauseum probably. Of course.
1: Here we are in two thousand eight. We are in the burgeoning era of studios wanting their superhero movies to be taken a bit more seriously. We have gone past the mid two thousands era of your Fantastic fours, maybe a little earlier than that, your Hulk, your Angly Hulk, Daredevil. And in 2008, we get the double whammy combo of Iron Man and the Dark Knight. It's a big deal. And they both take very different approaches to a superhero movie. But they are obviously both successful. Uh, But this one is very noteworthy in that It was a real struggle to get it produced, and they started shooting without much of a script. Jon Favreau had to fight tooth and nail for Robert Downey Jr. to get the part and to keep the part. And it's just kind of a miracle that the movie managed to not only be made, but do well.
0: What do you remember about seeing this for the first time? Because I honestly don't remember when I saw this. Like, I definitely didn't see it in theaters, I'm pretty sure, And I just know that I saw it. (laughs) Like That's it.
1: I did see this in theaters. The only thing I really remember is this. I was in eighth grade or had just finished eighth grade. Did not know much about Marvel comics beyond a couple of Spider-Man comics that I had. A couple other ones. I definitely, I had never read an Iron Man comic in my life. Still haven't. But I kind of knew who the character was. And I think I saw the trailer, and I was like, this looks cool. And at the time, that's all I needed. Um, And I remember going to see it and really enjoying it. You know, at the time, I wasn't like, this is going to be the the mainstay of movies in the next decade and change.
0: Yeah, because I am trying to think about movies that had come out at this point. And you just named a bunch. So, like, the Fantastic Fours had come out. We've had a handful of the first three X-Men movies had all come out. Yeah. I didn't realize how early Batman Begins came out because I know you said that they took really different approaches with the Dark Knight, but there is an edge to this movie, to Iron Man specifically, that we don't necessarily get in, like, the Avengers. Like, him being held captive by terrorists and that's how the movie starts is pretty... Pretty dark.
1: Yeah, the tone is definitely a little different. It's not. I mean, it's
0: certainly not like Dark Knight. But yeah,
1: like like the the hallmarks of Marvel movies are all there—the comedy and the, and that sort of thing. The but
0: bits, the banter.
1: It does. You're right. There's a bit of edginess that we don't get in the later ones. But um, I
0: I think that's because of the Batman series. Yeah. To be honest, like Christopher Nolan set set up the fact that you could have superhero movies that were dark. Because I don't think of Fantastic 4 as dark. I don't even think of X-Men as dark even though X3, let's not speak of it yet. I just can't go down that path. X3
1: had a lot of bad shit happen, but it wasn't it was very that very
0: comic booky. Yeah.
1: It it maintained that. And I, I don't know if it would have been for the better if they had like gone in on the darkness. Probably not. Probably would have been worse. But yeah, I mean, this was a time when they were studios were trying to figure out the identity that they wanted their superhero movies to have. So you had, you're either like going really into like, we are not trying to identify this as a superhero movie, which I think maybe Christopher Nolan was trying to do with the dark Knight. Like, I don't think he would, cop to being like, I don't direct superhero movies. Right. I, that just seems like something he would say. But th- I feel like that that was a little bit present in the production of this movie, but they, they owned it a bit with all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff. I think they knew what they wanted to do, but they had to maybe not go all in on their first outing. You it know? is
0: wild to think about Marvel without the identity of Marvel, though. Like... We only like DC is all we knew and Spider-Man, which kind of occupied multiple spaces. But like we know Superman and we know Batman and we know Spider-Man. And that was kind of it for like the common,
1: the really big person. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Including myself. And like, yes, I knew X-Men and I knew Fantastic Four. But like in terms of like a standalone film, there were no major Marvel characters
1: yeah, and I mean, even at the time, like, we are looking at this from a perspective now that Iron Man is a household name and representative of the Marvel Studios brand. When this came out, like, Iron Man was a B character at best. Like, they did not have the rights. Well, you know, I feel like if if they had had the rights to Spider-Man, they would have been like, well, obviously, we're going to do another Spider-Man to start our universe, but... At the time, they didn't have the rights to a lot of their characters because they had sold them off back in the 90s and they were like, well, what do we have to work with? Or even
0: like Hulk or something, like somebody that's like visually someone you can like kind of latch onto. Iron Man is not necessarily that, but it it turns out to be like a great backdoor way into the series because it's not like you have to live up to this big character. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, they could do what they wanted with it.
0: And I will say, I, I'm kind of, you'll find, like, I'm a little critical of Iron Man as a person slash character because he is, like, an asshole, but I will say this for, um, Robert Downey Jr., like, watching this and having, like, seen some of the other Marvel movies more recently, like, he is really constant, like, even though his character goes on an arc... Him playing Iron Man is pretty consistent. Like what we see in this movie, like you can buy how we get to end game.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Which I think you can't say for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, he played this character for 13 years. Well, no, 11 years. And there was never, it never felt like there were uh, like undue changes or unbelievable like turns of character it's
0: he always had like a bite trajectories there and there's
1: there's moments that happen in this movie that clearly inform how he behaves in the future and it makes sense
0: for sure which is
1: one of my notes like
0: yeah well should we get into it more let's do it my first thought was i always think of this movie as him being captive and that's not that much of the movie him being captive is like uh, like a agreed. third yeah if that. If, yeah
1: for sure but it is like i think that's the most iconic part of this movie is him breaking out and everything after and, like, that just kind of feels like an epilogue like yeah i i really enjoy all of this movie but i think the first half is the more enjoyable half just it, because like yeah. it's there's there's so much there. I love
0: it really slows in the middle, like when he's like rebuilding it and like goes to the fundraiser and stuff yeah. like that's it really slows down.
1: One of the first things I wanted to note was I thought and still think that Sen is a very well done character, and I think he is one of the most important figures in Tony Stark's character development throughout the entire time that he spends in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, despite him only getting, you know, not that much screen time in this movie. Yeah, but it's
0: it. You're right. It's it's really significant. Like
1: when he is like, don't waste your life. That that is literally his MO for the rest of these movies. It's just like, I will not rest until I have done everything in my power to just make things better. Well well in you know, in his own eyes and obviously that doesn't always work out but
0: And I don't even know if Tony Stark ever refers to him again maybe once he refers to him. But I think if you remember Iron Man you remember that impact that that he had. Yeah. And that that was also a shift. That's why I feel like in some ways that's the edge that was similar to these like Christopher Nolan movies like him saying yeah I am gonna be with my wife and family because they're dead and like I always knew that that was going to happen Mm -hmm. that watching I remember watching that and being like oh oh shit like yeah this is not going to work out like it did in like I'll keep referencing Fantastic Four because I feel like Fantastic Four in a lot of ways is like the ultimate comic book movie like that original fantastic four in 2000 uh, i don't know if it's the original but yeah that fantastic four in like 2004 2005 um was like a generic comic book movie in the best ways possible where no one there was no serious impacts like the the villain doesn't even die like
1: he gets hit with a fire hydrant i mean yeah i
0: think and then entering this movie where like we're saying like that happens like a third of the way through the movie
1: yeah and you're like oh shit yeah this is like it's and it's not even like it's not oppressively dark it's just like oh like this person's not gonna have like a heroic exit and yeah yeah um and i think they did such a good job with it that it definitely inspired future characters like Stanley Tucci in Captain America
0: Yeah, was
1: basically, I mean, a different environment but served the same purpose. Um, Just like a very noble person who did a very good job of informing this person's ideals that they would carry with them through their own journeys.
0: I would like to pull back a little bit and talk about a couple of things, so we can talk about it in whatever order you want. But first, I was thinking about the role of Terrence Howard versus Don Cheadle.
1: Sure, that's obviously looking back at this movie's consistencies. That's obviously the big <laughs> thing because there's only been so many recasts in the MCU.
0: And I know a lot of people have talked about this. I watching this, like I really enjoy Terrence Howard. I think he does. A great job. So there's nothing against Terrence Howard, but I do love Don Cheadle in the role of War Machine. And I feel like there's just something a little bit sinister about Terrence Howard where it feels like, is this dude also a bad guy? Like, I don't know what it is. But Don Cheadle has more of a lightness. Is it just because Terrence him.
1: Howard plays it so straight? Yes. Like I'm a military guy. Don Cheadle guy. makes jokes
0: like he has more levity. I guess is what I'm saying. And Terrence Howard has no levity. Yeah. And I don't know if that's how it was written or that's just Terrence Howard. Like I don't know, but it's, I appreciate the freshness Don Cheadle it's brings. It's so to true,
1: him. and like Terrence Howard works in this movie for the role that Rhodes has. And yeah, it, the, the way that he is playing Rhodes would not work in the other movies. It just wouldn't work. Like, I can't imagine him riffing and being in these fight scenes with the other Avengers like Don Cheadle. And I they changed the character for Don Cheadle. Like, yeah, they loosened him up a bit. But I, I think that was for the better. And I, I feel like maybe in some regards, you could look at this movie and be like the the dynamic between the two is... They're not the same person. It's like there's this dynamic of Terrence Howard playing Roddy as like the straight man mm-hmm. to to Stark, but they they change that. Like Don Cheadle is still the straight man, but he is he he plays up the goofiness. Like you said, yeah. I I think it was the right <laughs> choice
0: to recast, but it, I I would just like to put on the record, not that it really matters, but I do like Terrence Howard's part, but it's just not right for moving forward with this character. I yeah. think.
1: It's just, I mean, and now now that we've been seeing Don Cheadle as War Machine for so long, you know, ten years of stuff, it's it's hard to imagine him, yeah, not being in these movies. And now they're doing like the show with him in it. I just don't.
0: Also, like Tony can be so dramatic. Like you need someone to call him out on it, and it can't always be Gwyneth Paltrow. So like. Don Cheadle can call him out. And like, Terrence Howard does, but, like, Terrence Howard is also very serious. Yeah.
1: Like, the in in Iron Man 2, and we'll talk about it more when we actually do our episode on Iron Man 2, but, like, when they have the fight at the party when Tony's getting all drunk and stuff, that would be slightly harder to imagine. There wouldn't be a lot of verbal back and forth. You'd
0: be like, they're never coming back from this. Yeah, yeah. The other note, which we don't really have to talk about, we just came off of WandaVision, but paul bettany a role of a lifetime voicing jarvis here
1: i would Who just knew? love to, to hop in a time machine go back to i don't know probably a couple days worth of voice work that he was laying down back in probably 2007 and be like hey <laughs> in 2021 you are going to be starring in a very very successful streaming tv show He probably thought his big break was just going to be having a character just in Avengers 2. And then that got parlayed into...
0: Forever. It's
1: own thing. Or not. (laughs) Well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I have some more questions. More into the plot, though. Um, Why did Tony Stark need to be killed slash kidnapped like why was that important to obadiah because it seemed like things were going fine like obadiah was definitely like taking control of the situation and tony had no idea so like what was the like was there an impetus for him being like you know what i just want him out of the way or was it just like i'm i'm tired of him like obadiah gathered enough power
1: i would love to say that there's more but the I feel yeah. like the, the motivators here are pretty basic, and I, I do think it's just him being like, you know what, I don't want to have to compete with this little shit for control of this company anymore. Get him out of here. Yeah,
0: hand. he's been on enough magazine covers.
1: <clears throat> like, I would be mad too if I had to do that magazine shoot that they have with, with him, like, standing with his back to the camera. Like, why is Come he on. even
0: there?
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I... This is a great movie, but the uh, the script is not not the strongest.
0: And I know we already kinda of talked about how like there's con like Tony Stark from, from this early on, like, recognizes like consequences, like and how like this this movie or the things that happen in this movie impact him for the rest of his life. But I also like that he has personal consequences beyond this movie for like literally like his role in global warfare like it's like okay he had a come to jesus moment in this movie which is like fine and dandy but like people are having like real life consequences to this as we know from wanda (laughs) um and this is not the end-all be-all for that like there are future consequences for tony stark for his role in like global warfare and i think that was good
1: Yeah, that on that note, I I do have a thing where I feel like this movie maybe kind of sort of had an identity crisis. Um, Not that John Favreau was directing this movie being like, I'm going to make a political statement, but the backdrop of warfare in the Middle East at this time to the final year of the Bush presidency, uh, and I was getting like a lot of shades of like I watched a lot of 24 and it was like a lot of like these like people from an unspecified country in the Middle East are terrorists.
0: Like we're building up our own enemy kind of.
1: So of course, like he is kidnapped by terrorists in an unnamed country in the Middle East. And I'm like, is this, am I getting more like American military propaganda or like a statement against the military industrial complex?
0: I feel like it's a statement against the military, ultimately. I think it is, too. And, like, then the whole series is, like, that question. But I think the viewers almost always end up on the side of not the military and government. Like, people don't trust the government.
1: Yeah. And that definitely gets played out more in the second one, too. When they... The government is actively trying to take the Iron Man suit and all of its technology. Another note just from early or early ish in the movie, this man Tony Stark, a billionaire, is like, I want an American cheeseburger and then goes to fucking Burger King.
0: If if he was to go to any fast food place though, what would it be? I don't know. I feel like only fast food could like represent like America as the country. Like there's only so many places that are from like coast to coast, and Burger King, McDonald's. I
1: guess I'm just. Wendy's. I just can't imagine. I I mean I guess anything would be good it's at the that whopper.
0: point.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Burger King still sponsor us. I just I just note that every time we watch it, I'm like I've never once craved Burger King in my life. All I've also I... never been stuck in a cave for three months, so.
0: All I would like to say, not really, but all I'd like to say right now is Obadiah and Thanos look a lot alike.
1: Yes. yes they do. Period. Fan theory, is Obadiah Thanos? I'm just
0: saying. He came back to get his revenge. We didn't see what happened to him. Painted
1: himself purple. Yeah, he fell into the arc Reactor and turned purple and got two and feet taller. Got
0: really like, bloated, I guess. <laughs>
1: It's permanent gas. Um,
0: I'm just saying.
1: We were talking about before how there are, like, implications for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe in this movie that I think they did a good job of subtly setting up. You got Baby Coulson running around.
0: S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. What's the name of S.H.I.E.L.D.?
1: Strategic Homeland Intervention and Enforcement. Hold on. Strategic Homeland... Oh, no. He just repeated it so many times. I should remember.
0: Well, they introduce them. Anywho. Whoever they are. Uh,
1: So he's running around. Uh,
0: Intelligent. Looking
1: very short for some reason. He looks very short to me.
0: Is it <laughs> intelligence?
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun to see a character like that who later, you know, at the end of the day in the Avengers movies, it mostly felt like he was... He was a standby, and in the Avengers, they turn him into the plot device to uh, kind of bring everybody together. But it was, it was great seeing him. He's he's always a joy, and I I judge a lot of his character on what I saw in Agents of Shield. Obviously, it's not really canon, but I just love seeing the guy pop up.
0: What do you think, or why do you think that Shield was interested so early on in what Tony had developed? What don't hurt their little ears? I Was it just that he was capable of doing I, that?
1: I think so. I think it was just a brand new, unique thing.
0: Like technology. They're like, we got to have this guy. Yeah.
1: I think they just want to be on the cutting edge. Um, another like major thing that I find fascinating that they're finally bringing back is the fact that the the terrorists that kidnapped him were part of the Ten Rings organization which they i think they mention in this movie or at least they, they mention it in iron man 3
0: i was gonna say it doesn't come back in iron man 3
1: yeah and the fake mandarin is involved with them and then there's a deleted scene in ant-man where someone has a tattoo of the 10 rings and now it's finally coming back in shang chi 13 13 years later and Full we're finally getting closure. yes so true and we're getting, like, the real Mandarin. And I just would never have guessed that they would follow back up on a plot point that I thought they had all but abandoned. Because they had no reason to come back to it. No one remembers what it
0: is. I mean, I don't think they were necessarily planning to. They were just like, what can we mine yeah. for content? Sure.
1: And, I mean, I enjoy it because it, it makes it feel more cohesive.
0: Um. Some, some An overarching question, I guess, is... What does this movie say or what this movie brings up? Like, what does it say about Howard Stark and his relationship with Obadiah and like what he's created? Because Howard Stark is kind of like brought to us as like a legend and somebody to look up to, I think. And this kind of shows that, like, he wasn't necessarily that. Like, this isn't somebody that we want to idolize. Well, I somebody mean... Somebody that created, like, this this type of weapons company.
1: I think we get a very conflicted view of Howard Stark. Yeah. Especially from Tony's point of view. But also, yeah, in general, he was a pioneering weapons manufacturer. And obviously he was a very smart guy. Going back to the guy, atomic bomb. But morally complicated at best and this movie doesn't even really get into the whole the issue that tony had with howard i mean it does a little bit he's like i never got to say goodbye to my dad but beyond that we're not getting the full picture that they paint later of how you know uh not good their relationship was but we never hear about howard and obadiah Stane ever again really yeah. I think maybe he gets mentioned like one time in another movie, but
0: I also have always felt like the timeline doesn't seem correct that Howard was around during World War Two and that Tony is like in his prime almost in two thousand eight. Like, I don't know, I feel like that math doesn't Wait, work. I
1: feel like we talked about this. Before. I know,
0: and I think we have tried to do the math that maybe we should Really quick, do some okay. math.
1: So, Dominic Cooper plays Howard Stark in Captain America. Let's say
0: he's 25.
1: In Captain America. Yeah, which, let's just give let's, him an and age. And let's say that Captain America takes place in 1942. Yeah. Does that sound right? Uh, okay. So, so,
0: that that means he was born in 1917.
1: And he died in 1991? I want to say.
0: So he was 74. But then Tony is supposed to be like 19 when he dies. Yeah. Which means that he had him at 55. And we know from Endgame that he was expecting his first child in whatever year that was. That they go back to get the Tesseract.
1: So Which wait, was, like, on. the 80s? <laughs> yeah, 70-something, uh, I think. Oh, my God.
0: So, that... Well, okay, so that actually makes sense. So that Tony would have born in, like, around 1972. I'm sure this is all on the internet, but we're just going to guess for right now. Yeah,
1: I think that's roughly correct. And then, and so like that time. was, like,
0: 72 that he was there at the Tesseract. Okay. All right.
1: Thereabouts. So we did that. We did that math. He's definitely like on the older side for this stuff, but that's believable because, like, so is Tony.
0: And like, I think it's believable that it took Howard a little while to settle down.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But yeah. it doesn't help that the character or the actor that plays Tony's dad is like not some rando. Well, he's not. Well, he's from Mad Men. Oh. Not in this movie. That's he's what a I rando. thought you were saying, yeah. yes. The one that ends up playing him for most of the movies is, like, hard to pin down, I guess.
1: Yeah, wise. unclear.
0: Did you have any other, like, specific notes? I have a lot more, like, general, I feel hmm. like, notes about the movie.
1: Yeah, let's see. Nothing too serious. Um, one small note. I was going to say, it must be so loud for Tony whenever he gets shot in the Mark One suit. That's all I can think is he gets, like, hundreds of bullets fired at him, and he's basically in a tin can. That must... that That's a lot. But good for him for persevering. The other thing was, I forgot how gross the, like, original arc reactor is. Oh,
0: and pulling it out of him? Yeah. Yeah, it's Nasty. really fucking disgusting. It's really disgusting.
1: And the whole thing... The arc reactor becomes so slick... And just like this iconic imagery of the blue light in the chest. It's easy to forget that it came from a magnet connected to a car battery that he had to carry around in the cave. It makes a very, well, I don't know if it's a believable evolution, but I liked seeing that it wasn't all, you know, it wasn't originally just this work of genius. It was, Yinsen had to help, had to help our boy out.
0: How do you think the technology in this movie holds up to the other movies around this time?
1: Like, CGI work?
0: Or CGI, but or also, the actual, like, like, the technology they're using in the movie. Like, does it feel... I mean, I know at one point he uses a phone that has, like, a flip video. It, like, yeah, like, it, like, it has a it's, flip like, perpendicular screen, to the screen, I'm like, cool. Which feels very 2008. Like, that doesn't feel um, ingenious, yeah. like, using something I'm,
1: like that. I gotta that. say, besides, like, the Bluetooth and the phones, the... It does not feel ahead
0: of its time?
1: To me, it doesn't feel ahead of its time, but there's nothing really that dates it hardcore as being late 2000s.
0: Because I would say other Marvel movies, especially, like, Avengers on, end up being very ahead of its time. When they start doing things in the air, like, building these, like, plans. Yeah. And I know other things do that, but that feels very, like, okay, we are above average in terms of what we know about technology yeah
1: yeah i don't know i think it it holds up well it doesn't show its age but it wasn't really pushing boundaries either i agree that that would. That
0: comes in the later movies. But I don't think anything was. Like, certainly not the Batman movies. The biggest technology was, like, radar with the cell phone. Yeah.
1: I mean, the best things that the Batman movies did, at least like The Dark Knight, were their practical stunts. Uh, I will say the Iron Man suit holds up so well. It looks
0: so good. It,
1: like, I love the style of it in this. It's, like, heavy. It's clunky. But it's still it makes sleek. Of, yeah, but it makes, like, a lot of noise. And it has, like, heft to it. And that's the problem that I had with the later Iron Man appearances when they went all, all in on the nanotech. I especially in Infinity War, I did not like it because I think it looks worse. They have like the the helmet kind of just like
0: it doesn't look. Forms like it would do over anything. their head,
1: and they did a slight improvement in Endgame. They had it's all nanotech, but the face mask like flips down, and I think they just kind of regressed with making it seem like a believable suit of armor that someone could be inside of. Eventually they were just like, fuck it, you know, I'm storing my suit in this watch, which is like obviously super cool. But this one, you know, he, he lands on the roof of his house and he falls through three floors because it's so heavy.
0: Yeah. I also think that it's, um, interesting that they have him building it like in his garage with like all the cars. (laughs) And like, there's a certain part of the suit that does emulate like, cars like he looks like he's wearing a porsche or something like that like the way and he and in that it's sleek but it is very much like an armor yeah yeah i think i mean i was joking about obadiah turning into thanos but it is interesting that as far as we know obadiah actually dies in this movie most superhero comic book movies the villain never actually dies or like there's some wink to him coming back even in like the spider-man movie with green goblin like he dies but like green goblin's essence is still very much around yeah
1: they have no qualms about just like straight up killing obadiah in this movie and like you said there's no like winks to him maybe being alive or maybe coming back um And I feel like it's kind of the equivalent to when a TV show goes from being week to week to like a serialized format. And once the Avengers movies got a bit more comfortable with that, we got these villains that could maybe be in the background of one movie and then pop up again later. And I thought, I thought it was very ambitious for them to have Loki be like the secondary villain in Thor. And then, you know, have, have, Faith that people liked him enough that they could just bring him back and have him be in the spotlight. Um, it was
0: the best decision they ever made to, like, use Loki. Oh,
1: easily. And I, I enjoy when they've kept other characters around in the background. I
0: mean, Thanos is a great villain, and they introduced him early. He had other things happening. Like, I think... I think they did wait to, I don't think they knew exactly what they were doing with him when they first introduced him, like with the infinity stones and stuff, or maybe they did, but it wasn't really clear. Um, I mean,
1: they definitely changed his character when he pops up in guardians, it's like a different personality.
0: Yeah. But they, yeah, I like when a villain sticks around, but I don't like it. Always, like, always, like, when it's corny, like, when he really should have died, and then they're like, oh, he's back, like, kind of like the Red Skull thing, like, I'm glad they didn't bring Red Skull back as a villain, and they use him in a very particular way, like, if they had brought him back, and they're like, oh, he's back, he's, like, ravaging the world, like, I would have been, like, okay, whatever, Um, I'm looking at you, Star Wars Episode nine, or whatever number we're on, oh, bringing God. back the emperor.: Somehow
1: the red skull has returned.
0: That wasn't. <laughs> we, nobody needed that. Nobody asked for that. So I'm glad that I think Marvel they right, know which walks ones to, a good tightrope.:
1: They know the ones to keep and the ones to kill. Like there is, there's no value to stain coming back. They made a great call with like Zemo. If they had killed no. Zemo in Civil War, we would have been a waste, and now we get to have him come back and flesh out his character a bit more.
0: I have one critique from this movie. What do you think it is? It's not enough of a certain character. Happy Hogan.
1: Oh, so John, true. Man, he gets, like, one he's line. in one
0: scene at the beginning with the poker, and maybe Does one he other. Oh, one he, no, he gets some the uh, burger.
1: Yeah, thing. but like. No personality. Very,
0: very little. Yeah, maybe two lines. Which is... It's very funny to me. John Favreau's I love like, it, though. He's
1: like, I'm going to put myself in this movie, and I'm not going to do anything. I love it.
0: He's playing a long game. John Favreau is playing a long game, which actually brings me to what I want to actually talk about, is uh, the vision... Holla. Uh, <laughs> that John Favreau and Kevin Feige had when they decided to do this film. Clearly, they had a long game because they mention Avengers in the post-credit scene. But how far had they really like planned at this point when they released Iron Man? Was it just till Avengers? Like in reality. I'm sure they had like their dream. <laughs> like they didn't have until Endgame.
1: No. This was definitely like I think
0: best-case scenarios of it. Their hype stream
1: was like, yeah, we'll have four successful movies and then we can make Avengers and if that works out then we can go from there because
0: the longest like superhero franchise was Tobey Maguire Spider-Man yeah with three
1: or X-Men was tied at that point oh too. yeah
0: and X-Men three so like a trilogy was kind of max
1: yeah and it was really bold of them to to be making those plans because I mean if they had if they'd released this movie with the stinger with Nick Fury and then it bombed then it just would have been embarrassing it would have been like yep you're not getting that made but well
0: that's what's happened to dc yeah
1: but i think they they must have just been doing it you know a couple movies at a time and then when they got to avengers they figured they hit the jackpot and started planning further ahead and if kevin feige can be believed now they have movies announced out a couple years you know blade the new blade doesn't even have a release date And they say that they're always planning five to six years ahead of what is public information.
0: I mean, if we track Kevin Feige, like he's tried a lot of different ways to make superheroes happen. Like, wasn't he attached to like, wasn't he attached to something like early on that like did not do well? Well, he's been
1: at Marvel forever. Like, so he was, he was a producer on, I think, like every Marvel movie in the early 2000s. Like, Bummy. what? All the Spider-Mans. All the X-Men. Fantastic Four, probably.
0: I thought we watched something kind of recently that he was on that just, like, bombed.
1: Oh, well, Daredevil. Daredevil, you know, like, that's what it is. And Elektra. He yeah, was those, on all yes, of those. Yes,
0: those are the ones I'm thinking right. of. Daredevil and Elektra. Like, so I feel like his, like, plan is just to keep making comic book movies. Like, well,
1: I think he was always in the background of these Marvel movies being...
0: Well, when you like, say Marvel movies, do you mean like not, Iron Man no, no, no. or like, like so all of them?
1: X-Men, Spider-Man, Daredevil, X2, Hulk, Punisher, Man-Thing. He was like in the background of all of these, probably talking into somebody's ear, trying to be like, guys, like we need to do this. Please do this. But he was like low on the totem pole yeah. in those movies. Yeah, I mean, so, how old is he? I mean, he, he is not that old.
0: Yeah, and
1: he's he's 47. So he was he was associate producer on again. X-Men when he was in his 20s,
0: which is crazy. Yeah.
1: Um so good for him and clearly like people decided that they should start listening to him because as soon as he became a higher up I mean he was an executive producer on Spider-Man 3 and Rise of the Silver Surfer, so...
0: We know what happens with this Iron Man franchise, but... In the long run, like, was he... I mean, obviously we don't know, but, like, him and Jon Favreau were like, we're gonna make something here? Like, do you think they would have said that no matter what? Or were they actually, like, this is the plan? Because you could say that about all of those other ones, like, Daredevil, Elektra, like there was a plan there that just, you know, they yeah. couldn't get it off the ground. Like, was I'm... this just going to be one of those other ones and then it did get off the ground? Probably. Yeah. It was,
1: he was, it's like the same process, but maybe they, they took a risk that they wouldn't have taken on the other ones with Robert Downey Jr. And it just, it paid off. But yeah, you know, if they had maybe, <laughs> if they would gotten Tom Cruise to play Tony Stark like they originally wanted to, we might not be talking about this.
0: Well, I don't think Tom Cruise would have wanted to keep going. Well, actually, but he would have. He the, likes making movies too. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. So, uh,
1: should we do our Yeah. Little picks?
0: What's what you what you got?
1: All right. So, uh, well, I need the prompts for the other ones, but my favorite scene of this entire movie is got to be when he comes back in the red and gold Iron Man suit and goes to Gomera. oh yeah, that's okay. like <laughs> like when we were just watching it when he gets shot down by the tank and then blows it up and you know it's like the cool guys don't look at explosions walking away shot. Maul is just like iconic, cause it is, and it's just like him showing off all of his, his cool new suit. Su- his new suit tech and just being like trying so hard in a moment to, like, redeem himself from the harm that he had caused.
0: My favorite scene, my favorite, like, badass scene would probably be him escaping from imprisonment. Like, that whole sequence is really good. And we obviously think about the emotional stakes of it. And then my other favorite, like, low stakes scene is actually when Pepper Potts is getting the stuff off the drive and obadiah comes in and she's like being sneaky to get that flash drive out of there like i i find that scene to be very suspenseful and and good
1: yeah it's like jeff bridges does a great job in that scene he's very yeah he's not being like overtly threatening
0: yeah you're like does he know (laughs) that what she knows do you know what I know that you know?
1: <laughs> and then he comes around the desk and she's just like staring at the screensaver. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like, it's a good scene for them. And then what about who would you want to be from this movie? I guess thinking about like what they all become.
1: Uh, I could do without the untimely demise, but I think it would be fun to be Phil Coulson.
0: He I gets, knew you were going to say well, that. Well, I love, you love Phil I
1: Coulson. love Phil Coulson, but he has a really cool job. He just gets to like be on the front lines of like finding all of this cool shit. I mean, of course this was his first outing in canon, but then we go back and we see him in Captain Marvel. So it's like he's been wrapped up in this world of superheroes for a long time. Like at least like 15 years before this movie even happens. And I think it's just very cool just to look into that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I gotta go with Pepper Pats because she gets to be CEO of a huge company and then also ends up getting her own, like, super suit and stuff like that. I mean, it's... She's kind of, like, whatever in the grand scheme of things. But I do like... And I know Gwyneth Paltrow is kind of a divisive person. But I do like what she does with the character, and I think she keeps it. She keeps it cool. She does. Like she, she does end up being damsel in distress a lot, but she also is like very empowered in a lot of other ways. So there are some early two thousands problematic female <laughs> stuff happening in this movie, and more to come. But <laughs> um, overall, I like her.
1: Yeah, in future movies, we might have a bit more theoretical stuff to talk about you know maybe pick two characters who would win in a fight but in this movie there's only two people that fight each other we're not counting the terrorists (laughs) because we know who's gonna win that fight uh but you know when we start to get to the ensemble movies we can have a bit more room for discussion but this one's pretty straightforward
0: we're excited to keep going down the mcu universe but we'll take a quick break from it and then come back with the incredible movie the incredible hulk
1: we uh, did a marathon watch of the MCU last year. Skipped the whole... <laughs> so we're, we're going to give it another chance.
0: So it's due. Yeah. We're due.
1: Edward Noren, we're coming for you. Eddie. <laughs> and once again, thanks for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Hit us with a five-star review. Uh, follow us on social media. Right now we're on Twitter and Instagram.
0: At... Into the superverse on Instagram and superverse pod on Twitter. Thanks.